Welcome to Higher Potential with Indeed. Indeed's new 2022 DNI report has just gone live. It's one of the most comprehensive studies into DNI issues in Australian workplaces. Click the link in this episode's description to get your free copy. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is often full of grey areas, uncertainty, and quite possibly fear. High Potential with Indeed is here to help demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations. Groundbreaking ones too. I'm your new host, Cathy Ngo, diversity, equity, and inclusion changemaker and presenter. I've spent over a decade in HR, corporate affairs, and communications, but I'm most passionate about pushing the boundaries relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices, and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com, the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. According to Indeed's 2022 Diversity and Inclusion Report, two-thirds of Australians working from home are concerned about safety when returning to the workplace and more Australians now say diversity and inclusion involves enabling employees to feel safe and bring their true selves to work. With this in mind, it's never been more crucial to consider what it means to create a psychologically safe workplace for all employees. In this episode, we will explore what the term psychological safety means in the workplace, how we can lead with well-being front of mind, how we can work sustainably, and how to promote cultures where employees thrive. Today, we are joined by Lainey Cassidy, Head of Wellbeing, People and Inclusion at KPMG Australia, where she has worked for over eight years. Welcome, Lainey, to the podcast. Thanks, Cathy. Thanks for having me. To kick us off, Lainey, it would be great to hear you expand on your role at KPMG. It's a huge organisation. What does your role as Head of Wellbeing involve? Yeah, sure. I'll start with saying no day is is the same. So there's absolute diversity in my role. But in terms of my remit, I obviously look after the well-being of over 10,000 individuals at KPMG. And at, at a high level, it's really around ensuring that we offer well-being programs and support that provides a great people experience as they have their journey at KPMG and ensuring that we promote thriving and that great sense of psychological safety in the workplace. So our our programs are underpinned by that ethos. Mm, Great. And the topic of our uh, episode is creating psychologically safe workplaces. So for our listeners who might not be so familiar with the term, what does psychological safety mean? And are there a few different definitions? What does it mean in the workplace context? 
Harvard professor Amy Edmondson talks about psychological safety and it's her concept. And it put simply, it's really around having an environment of a speak up culture where individuals feel safe to speak up when things are not okay. And that can be anything from an organisational perspective to also individually that that they're not coping. Uh, And it's about that felt sense of that. So it's really not just saying we are a psychological safe workplace or leaders speaking out on psychological safety, but rather creating an environment where people feel that they can speak up without fear of reprimand. So, for example, if somebody has a mental ill health condition, a psychological safe workplace would ensure that if somebody was to disclose that, that they would know that they would get the support pathway to ensure that they feel supported. So how does psychological safety fit under the broad umbrella of diversity, belonging and inclusion? Psychological safe workplaces create a sense of community and connection and that true sense of belonging. So if you do have a psychologically safe work environment, then individuals do feel that they don't need to wear their mask when they come to work. They feel that they can be their authentic real self without feeling that they would be judged that they wouldn't miss out on a sense of a promotion or any fear of reprimand by being who they truly are. They wouldn't have to wear their mask if they have a disability, for example, or if they identify as transgender. They truly can be themselves and a psychological safe work environment would foster that. Do you feel that a lot of workplaces are are hitting the mark on that or not? I think the pandemic has shifted that as well because I think organisations providing a different sense of what it means to be included or with the hybrid working model as an example, people are working from home and so the evolution of psychological safety has changed because of the pandemic. To answer your question around whether organisations provide that, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag, if I'm honest. And even within an organisation, it's still a mixed bag because it does come from leading around inclusion or inclusive leadership. And let's be honest, not all organisations have an equal band of leaders that lead with inclusivity. So I think there are pockets within organisations that do it really well. I think there are organisations on a whole that do it really well. But as a blanket brush, there's still so much more that we need to do to get right. And I think it comes from also leaders embracing vulnerability. What I know is that sometimes leaders shy away from even having the conversation around psychological safety or inclusion for fear of making things worse. And so that creates an issue and a barrier within itself. So I think leaders need to embrace vulnerability better and by that they will also create a more inclusive environment. Absolutely agree about the vulnerability piece and, yeah, definitely more leaders need that. Why do you think it's just so hard that they are not sharing a little bit about themselves and being vulnerable? Look, I think some leaders are natural people leaders and it comes a lot easier to them to be a bit more organic and share a little bit more. I also think that we ask so much of leaders and I think the pandemic, we're asking even more. We're asking them to lead in an agile way. What does that even mean? Have we equipped them to be able to do that? Check in with your people and make sure that they're okay when they're at home. How do they do that? Because that's different now compared to in the physical office sense where they could actually get those physical cues from people. So I think we are asking so much of our leaders, but we're 
often forgetting that leaders are human themselves. And so we're saying make sure that you look after your work environment, make sure that you create a mentally healthy work environment that's truly inclusive and making sure that you support your people but we're not necessarily doing a lot more around but make sure you're showing up and looking after yourself and that role modelling. So I think leaders wear a mask because they feel that they have to have it all together. They feel that they need to say, it's okay, I'm a leader, I've got this. But in fact, it's not showing people that they're human. And so then by default, the, the teams and the people that they're leading feel at times that it's not okay for them to tell their leader if they're not doing okay because their leader doesn't do that. So I think organisations owe it to leaders to do a little bit more around giving them a window where they can share and express vulnerability, equipping them to be able to do that as well and giving them that sense of permission that it's okay to share moments when they failed, moments when they weren't okay and that's really going to create living and breathing psychological safety. That's great advice. And I think about working from home and I've certainly had some friends tell me that they absolutely love it when they see their bosses, dogs run in or any sort of background noise because it humanises the leader. It's actually made people connect more with their managers, their leaders, just from purely seeing these little small snippets uh, of people's lives at home. Speaking about leadership, you are a big advocate of leading with well-being front of mind. Can you explain what that means to you? Definitely. I think if we are wanting to create mentally healthy workplaces which feed into an inclusive environment, the number one thing that we need to do is lead with wellbeing. And what I mean by that is ensuring that you're walking the talk. That is, what we say we value as leaders, we do ourselves. What we say we value as leaders, we actually reward at the time of, say, a salary promotion and we're not rewarding the wrong things. So it goes back to a little bit around my point around individual leaders ensuring that they are role modelling and by role modelling they're not sending emails at 11 o'clock at night to their team and then the next day they're having a wellbeing check-in conversation to say make sure you got that balance because that doesn't create any sense of agency for people. So I think leading with wellbeing is about walking the talk. It's really ensuring that you're not just paying lip service to people the other thing I'll say is leading with wellbeing is also about that organic one-on-one conversations with leaders to their direct reports. And you don't just have to say, how are you going? Tell me how you're coping. People are also okay. And so in the spectrum of wellbeing, if you're thinking about the red zone or mental ill health, people sit there, but also people are in the amber or the green zone. And so leaders don't just have to check in and say, are you doing all right? Are you sure? They also need to go beyond that now to ensure that they're providing good work for people that creates them that sense of purpose, that they really feel that they're getting that really meaningful challenge and that will create an engaged workforce. And by default, you will get that sense of well-being from people. No, yeah. Absolutely, I agree with that. So what uh, duty of care do employers have to consider the well-being of their people? I'm a strong believer that you shouldn't just start with the wooden spoon. It's your duty of care to ensure that you provide an environment that doesn't create ill health, to ensure that you're leading practice in terms of mental health and well-being and inclusion in the workplace. We need to step beyond duty of care. Of course it's an obligation. Of course we are going to comply with the law. But if you want to be an employer of choice, if you really want to have a strong employee value proposition, 
baseline is legislation. Beyond that is ensuring that when people come to an organisation and they spend most of their time working, let's provide them with programs, let's provide them with support, opportunities, so that if they do leave the organisation, they leave better than when they started. And that's really what I think the North Star is in terms of beyond duty of care for organisations when we're talking about psychological safety and mental health. How does psychological safety affect workers living with a disability? If you don't have psychological safety in a workplace culture, then you're going to have underrepresented groups not disclose things like a disability. So in an organisation that doesn't have an embedded process in the recruitment phase around asking individuals if they do have a disability and a really robust process around the support once they're employed as to what they need in terms of those accommodations, then that's going to leave that individual feeling that they're going to suppress their disability and they're not going to bring their full self to work. So I think a an environment that doesn't foster psychological safety suppresses every employee, but particularly for those minority groups, they're not going to speak up, they're not going to disclose because they're just going to feel that they're not going to get the support that they need. When we hear the term sustainability, we typically think about the environment, but what does sustainable work mean to you? I think sustainable working, it's always been there in terms of making sure that we provide healthy work and individuals have habits and that there's structures in place to ensure that there is great balance. Let's be honest, we all were thrown into the pandemic and we know that everybody could have worked from home. That was demonstrated, in fact, probably to the nth degree that there was overproductivity. And so I think now as we emerge from the pandemic, what's really important for organisations and for individuals is to ensure that when you're thinking about the work that you're doing, it can be really great and you can be engrossed in it. And in fact, you can do, you can work for long periods of time if you're enjoying the work that you do without feeling that you are going to burn out. But equally, it's about ensuring that you have sustainability around engaging in that work. So it's about making sure that from an organisational perspective, that organisations are truly looking at the framework and structures in which people operate, that they're looking at job design truly. So are things adequately resourced in terms of the jobs that people are doing? Are the hours adequate and making sure that's not a risk factor for burnout? So organisations have a, a role to play in terms of sustainable work practices from a job design point of view. And individuals can also pick up on the programs that organisations provide them in terms of healthy habits, healthy behaviours, what are the rituals that they need to build into their day to create better balance and better boundaries. Ultimately, the employer is responsible, but the employer can also provide a toolkit for employees through some of their wellbeing programs so that they can draw on that so that they can adopt practices into their day to get sustainable work practices better. If you Google wellbeing programs, there's thousands of hits and there's just so much out there. You mentioned before creating healthy habits, but what would you recommend for organisations to to definitely have uh, in their programs? 
I think it depends on the organisational culture in terms of where they're at. But, but on the premise that they're starting from scratch, as a baseline, every organisation needs an employee assistance provider and that's really just around psychological support. But if you get a good EAP program, they can also provide the proactive services around dietitian and, and individuals getting nutritional advice, financial wellbeing, resilience coaching. So I think that is critical. You need to have an absolute awesome provider beyond just EAP because EAP is almost redundant now. You need to think about the broader spectrum of not just when somebody's got a mental ill health condition, but equally how do you keep them, like I mentioned earlier, well. There's so many programs out there. There's so many diagnostics. There's so many dashboards that that people have um, created to sell to workplaces. The one thing that I ask when I'm approached is data and what is the evidence base around the impact of the program. So that is critical. Otherwise, there's no real return on investment and and real impact. So I think you need they need to be data driven, and a real empirical evidence base around when you're selecting them. I think what I'll also say is it's really easy to provide yoga and fruit bowls in an organisation and and that has its place for sure, but it's not true. Um, If you're really wanting to walk the talk around psychological safety and mental health, you need to move beyond yoga and fruit bowls. You touched on financial wellbeing a little bit earlier and I like how you brought that up because wellbeing isn't just physical wellbeing or mental wellbeing. Is is there any other layers that organisations need to be aware of in addition to those? I think mind, body, community and financial wellbeing, those four pillars go hand in hand and really create a, a holistic approach when you're thinking about your programs from a wellbeing perspective, thinking about your community groups, thinking about your programs in terms of how do you create that sense of collaboration and connection and what are the programs that would enable that is really what would allow people to have a sense of belonging in the organisation but also the power of connection that you get from just being together as a community. Mm. So mind-body connection and financial wellbeing are the four pillars that bring a holistic wellbeing program together. Yeah, I love that. And you also mentioned community in in creating a sense of belonging. Is there anything that KPMG does to create those communities? Is it employee resource groups or what what have you seen so far? We've got, we've absolutely got communities, networks we call them at KPMG, which are communities across all of our minority groups. We've got a pride at work community as an example. We've got a real peer, real talk community, which is peers that sit outside of people in inclusion or HR and real peers that would shoulder to shoulder have conversations, real conversations around how people are going and I think that's really important. Communities beyond HR, communities beyond leaders and actual peer-to-peer connection and the power of that. I spoke about leading with wellbeing in one sense and ensuring that leaders are equipped to be able to engage in those conversations in a really authentic way. We also know that sometimes people just won't disclose to their leader because they just sometimes think that they might not get that promotion as an example. And so coming at it from a leadership point of view is important and equipping leaders to feel confident to be able to lean in. But equally on the sides, having those peer-to-peer programs is paramount. So wrapping your arms around the whole individual. I love that peer-to-peer conversation because having those communities where they can have those psychological safe conversations is just so important. 
That's where a lot of organisations fail. They start with training their HR practitioners in mental health first aid and they say, we've got all these mental health first aiders, but you've got that barrier around, I don't want to go to HR. Like, I just want to talk to somebody. And so thinking about your peer-to-peer networks outside of HR is really important. The other thing that I'll say is ensuring that you've got diverse representation across that network. So an inclusion layer. For example, you've got the LGBTQI community represented and you've got some peer supporters that would identify with, with that group. So it's just about ensuring that you've also got the inclusion overlay with the peer support groups. How can workplaces promote the notion of thriving in their employees? That is moving people beyond just simply showing up and doing their job, but really excelling and enjoying their work. Definitely. The one-on-one conversations with leaders are moving not just to check in to see how people are going, but really asking them about the work and asking them about the projects that would make them feel inspired and challenged is important because good work is good for people and creates that real great sense of engagement. So that's one piece. I think as well, really thinking about best-in-class programs or policies probably For example, flex programs. So when we're thinking about asking people to show up as their whole self, if you're a working mother, what does that mean in terms of the policies that you provide? Do you have true flex programs that will allow a working mother to be able to create absolute balance in their day, kick goals at work and kick goals at home? So thinking about your hybrid working policies or your flexible working programs in a way that allows individuals to factor in the whole part of their life, not just work, is important. I think the other thing I'll say is communities is important. So I mentioned it before, but how do you promote thriving? I think it's absolutely around establishing communities with like-minded individuals beyond just the work content. So if you've got a book club, if you've got people that love reading, if you've got a chess club, if you've got a prayer club, if you've got a running club, if you've got a, a, a yoga club, those type of communities also help people go from good to great. So they start good, but then they're just creating that, fostering that sense of connection and community through what you provide in the organisation. And finally, what I'll say in terms of wellbeing programs and inclusion programs, when you're thinking about the employee life cycle weaving all of those programs throughout that life cycle. I think organisations do it really well at the start and they promote, if you come and work for us, this is what you'll get. When you're there, you might get a little bit. Then when people go, there's not much that happens at the exit point. So it's really about weaving programs throughout the whole employee life cycle from start to end. That's a really good point about life cycle because there's, I think, five generations in the workplace at the moment. And so I just remember that an organisation that I've worked in, they've got programs for parents, they've got programs for carers, also for veterans and graduates as well. Mm. And then I think about those people who have been in the organisation for 30 years, they've gone through all of it. Mm. They've pretty much ticked every single uh, box in terms of programs. And I think that's just wonderful. And um, it's so amazing to hear that KPM. G offers all of that. Now, the final question, which we always ask at the end of every episode of Higher Potential with Indeed is, what will it ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future? Big question. But I think 
embracing diversity and inclusion in the true sense. So truly embracing it, not just saying that you value it is important and offering the programs to support you saying that you're embracing it. That's the first thing. And then secondly, I think leaders being vulnerable so that they can engage in those conversations to create a deeper sense of connection with their people will establish psychological safety in inclusive workplaces. And they need to push past the discomfort of vulnerability and know that it's okay to get things wrong. Yes, it's okay to get things wrong, people. (laughs) Amazing insights, Lainey. It's such a pleasure to have a chat to you about psychological safety at KPMG. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you for listening to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description and fill out the form. Just a quick note, the views and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Indeed. Additionally, the information in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.